Welcome to the River Community Church Podcast. We are a church committed to loving people, igniting faith in Jesus, and transforming lives. We hope you are blessed by the words that are spoken, and feel free to contact us if you have any questions. So um, this morning, we're starting a series here at the River called Life Reimagined. Life Reimagined. And... um, and this is a series in which we want to think about how we can reimagine life in this new reality that we're part of. And I, I'm guessing every single person that's listening to this message this morning has entertained the question, what is my life going to look like after this, right? Where, where, where is life going, right? And, um, and I, I wanted to start with a message that just is kind of like um, foundational. It, it gets at the heart of what it means to decide to follow Jesus, to, to decide to, to seek Jesus, to, this, to seek God in the midst of, of troubled times. And uh, I mean, we, we live in these times in which the ground is shaking, so to speak, right? And um, what, is it, what does it look like to to seek God, to, to, to find God during a time like this. And, and, and I couldn't think of a, of a better story uh, to, to talk about. And I've never preached on this passage, and I've always wanted to, so it's kind of cool that I get to preach about it uh, on it today. Uh, it's from an Old Testament book entitled Second Kings. Second uh, Kings 5, so if you have um, your Bibles, you can, you can turn there right now. Um, it'll also appear on your screen as I read the text in just a few moments. Um, this is about a, a story of, of a guy named Naaman, all right? And, and it's a bit of a longer passage that we're going to read, uh, so bear with me. But it, it's a good story, so I think you'll, you'll appreciate um, as, as, we, as we share the passage this morning. Let's do that now. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me 
and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parphra, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he, be, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimen to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow, that, bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. You know, um, many people have become seekers in, in a time like this. What I mean by that is they're, they're asking important faith questions. Um, like, where is God in all this? Like, like um, how do I trust in God in the, in the midst of, of such uncertain times? And so um, I wanted to, to talk about this story. Uh, I mean, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe that's why you tuned in this morning is because you're saying, you know what, I, I, I need something. I, I need some hope in the midst of, of all of these challenges that we're facing. And, and, and in this story, um, I want to share with you that you can find what, what needs to happen in your life if you want to find God, if, if, if you want to become a follower of Jesus. Um, in this story, you can find how to trust God in a time of crisis. So, so let's, let's, let's dive in. And, and the first thing um, that has to happen if, if you're going to, to start to trust God is that self-sufficiency has to die. Did you, did you notice how the chapter that, that we just read begins? It's, it's, it's brilliant writing. It really is. In one sentence, because it's one sentence in the Hebrew, um, not in the English, uh, it, the writer basically says this. He says, there's this guy named Naaman in, in Syria, right? He's a Syrian. I know it says Aram in the text, but that's another, another word for Syria. 
and, and, and listen, he was, a, he was an all-star. He, he had everything going for him. He, he, was, he was brilliant on the battlefield. He was brilliant in the boardroom. Uh, he, he, he had amazing social relations. He, he was loved by people around him. He was, you know, once removed from the king. Okay, so this, this guy had political acumen. Um, all the right political connections. He was one of the key leaders of one of the most powerful nations on earth at this time in which this was written. But then the writer says, but wait. Despite all of that, Naaman had leprosy. He, he, he had this life-threatening, shame-inducing disease. Okay, first thing that the text wants to teach us in this regard, and, and, and it's this. If you're going to find God, if you're going to find God, and, and Naaman does by the end of, of this story, you, you have to come to a place where you realize that, that self-sufficiency is a lie. That, that it doesn't matter what kind of, of designer life that you've put together or what, what designer life you think you can put together, something will always ruin it. Something will always ruin it. Now, now that something might be something from the outside, some, something that you, you weren't counting on, right? So something that you didn't see coming, something that you didn't think was even possible, something that you're powerless to stop. Kind of like this pandemic that we're facing, right? COVID-19. I mean, who saw it coming, right? But, but listen, e even before this pandemic, there was always something that was going to humble you. That there was always something that was, that, that, that was going to waylay your, your well-laid plans. Maybe, maybe it was that somebody you loved, somebody you cared about, somebody that was important to you passed away. Maybe it was some kind of financial crisis that you didn't see coming, right? Uh, maybe you trusted in someone who you thought was trustworthy and you trusted implicitly and then all of a sudden they betrayed you. Who, who knows what it is, but, but something always waylays our well-laid plans. Someone or something always ruins our idea of what the future should look like. Sometimes it comes from the inside, not from the outside, right? Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's an illness. Uh, you know, that empty feeling that haunts you. Whatever. So, something always comes along and makes us realize that as much as we think we have control, we don't have control. And oftentimes in a moment, like this, especially this moment that we're facing, we, we realize that, well, we never had control. Listen, it, it doesn't matter 
who you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how well connected you are like Naaman. Something is going to humble you. Something is going to humble you. But maybe, maybe that's not a bad thing, as you're going to see. You see, one of the great gifts of the situation that we're in right now is that we all get it, right? We, we, we all get it. I, I don't have to convince you of the fact that you're not in control right now. I mean, hopefully we're all beginning to realize that if the truth be told, we never had control as much as we thought we might. But, but that's not the only thing that needs to happen to us. Because now here's the thing. Um, and, and you know this. Many people go through calamity. They go through hardship. They go through difficulty. And they don't turn to God, right? I mean, they get angry. They get upset. They start finger pointing or, or, or however they respond. But they, they, don't, they don't turn to God. Something else, besides realizing that we're not in control, needs to happen. And it's this. You need to realize that the world cannot help you. The world cannot help you. No, notice what Naaman had in Syria. I mean, he had at least three things. First, he had connections with top people, including the king. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Second, he had a lot of money. I mean, the money that's described in this passage, the money that he takes with him on this trip to Israel was a lot. Okay, I mean, Bill Gates a lot. And third, he had power. He had prowess. Naaman, Naaman was a smart guy. In fact, not only that, he was, he was a good man. And, and there's all kinds of hints at this in the story. I, you, you'd like Naaman if you met him. You really would. But Naaman had come to this place where he realized that, that, that none of these things could help him. That, that as amazing as his, as his life was, there was nothing and there was nobody that could help him. He couldn't, if you will, he couldn't save himself. I was reading um, Chuck Colson's conversion story this week. And maybe you remember uh, who Chuck Colson was. Um, he was a top advisor in, in the Nixon cabinet. Um, in fact, he was termed the, the evil genius behind Watergate. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a powerful politician, uh, just like Naaman. In his memoirs, though, um, he writes about how he came to this place where he hit rock bottom where he recognized some of the things that we were talking about this morning, that he wasn't in control and that nothing in the world could help him. And, and he writes about how he met God. And listen, listen to these words. 30 years ago today, I visited Tom Phillips, president of Raytheon Company, at his home outside of Boston. I'd represented Raytheon before going to the White House and was about to start again. But, but I visited for another reason as well. I knew Tom had become a Christian, and he seemed so different. I wanted to ask him what happened. 
That night he read to me from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, particularly a chapter about the great sin that is pride. A proud man is always walking through life looking down on other people and other things, said Lewis. As a result, he cannot see something above himself, immeasurably superior, God. Tom that night told me about encouraging, uh, about encountering rather Christ in his own life. He didn't realize it, but I was in the depths of deep despair over Watergate, watching the president that, that I had helped for four years flounder in office. I'd also heard that I might become a target of the investigation as well. In short, my world was collapsing. That night, as Tom was telling me about Jesus, I listened attentively, but I didn't let on my own need. When he offered to pray, I thanked him but said no. I'd see him sometime after I read C.S. Lewis's book, I told him. But when I got in the car that night, I couldn't drive it out of the driveway. Ex-Marine captain, White House tough guy, I was crying too hard, calling out to God. I didn't know what to say. I just knew I needed Jesus. And he came into my life. Uh, of course, many of you know Chuck Colson did end up going to jail for his part in Watergate. But, but after his release, he went on to start prison ministry, which literally reached out to, to thousands and thousands of prisoners across the U.S. for Christ. Naaman had a similar experience. His leprosy ruined his, his designer life. And he realized that no one in his world could help him. And then, curiously enough, through a slave girl from Israel, he hears that, that there's a prophet in Israel, that there's help in Israel, and that perhaps if he goes to Israel, he can find help, he can find healing, he can find a cure. And so, so he does what, what any competent person would do at that time, right? He goes to his king and he says, can you write me a letter to the king of Israel? And the king, of course, because he loves Naaman, says, sure, of course. And, and, and he loads up a bunch of wagons with gold and with other gifts, right? And he heads off to find the prophet to, to secure his healing, to get his life back. Now, you, you might be thinking, well, why, why did he go then to the king of Israel? Why not go to Elisha directly? Well, well because he was just following protocol. You see, um, for every other nation on earth, the God of that nation was, was a projection of the culture of that particular people. And so, and so all the priests and the prophets of that religion worked for the king, right? They, they hung around the palace. And so if you wanted the favor of, of a rival god, of a rival nation, uh, you would go to the king. And, and so you could get whatever you want, wanted done, done, 
of course, um, we, we live in a culture that would say the same thing about Christianity. I mean, that's what a lot of folks at the U of A would say, right? That Christianity is nothing but a projection of Western civilization. Hey, it's the opioid of the people, right, as Mark said. Well, as Naaman is going to find out, and, and as every single one of us is going to find out one day when we stand before a holy God, God is real. And, and he doesn't work like that. Naaman um, goes to Israel and presents the letter of the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And, and not surprisingly, upon uh, getting this letter, he tears his robes. I mean, what would you do, right? Because he knows, he knows that Israel doesn't serve a, a projected God. I mean, this is the one nation that serves the, the real God, the, the one true God who isn't ruled by, by man's whims, who can't be bought off, who's, who's transcendent, who isn't moved by any human hocus-pocus, but who rules sovereignly beyond the power of any nation-state. I mean, you can just imagine what he was thinking. It's like, oh no, Naaman, you've come to the, the one nation on earth where salvation can't be bought or earned. I mean, he even says it in the text, right? Am I God? Can I, can I kill and bring back to life? You know, I, I hope that through this pandemic, you're beginning to realize that all of our amazing expertise as a, as a human race is failing. I found, it, I found it really interesting this week that CNN had... Uh, both Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg on, right? And they, you know, they're asking them questions. What do you think? Uh, what, what should we do? And not, not just them. I mean, not, not just business leaders. They had every epidemiologist that they could find. And they, they all, they asked all the same questions like, you know, what, what, what are we going to do? Or what should we do? Uh, I don't know, right? When will the pet pandemic be over? I, I don't know. You know, what, what will the long-term effects of this pandemic be? I, I don't know, right? Perhaps, perhaps one of the things that God is, is teaching us through all this is, is this. It's in whom do you trust? Do, do you trust the experts? Do you trust the wise minds of this world? Do you trust the learned? Or do you trust him? Now, now, listen, God didn't invent this plague. I mean, it's, it's a part of the broken world that we live in. God takes no delight in human suffering. In fact, we know, um, you know from the cross that he suffers with us and for us. But, but, but God has the capacity to also take a pandemic like this and, and, and turn it to our good, right? And, and so maybe, maybe one of the things that he's asking us is this, is, is, is don't you see all of the wisdom of the world, all of our brightest minds, all of our, all of our science, all of, all of the things that we think can save us, can't? one month and we all find ourselves on our knees and wondering what the future will hold 
Uh, Elisha hears about the, the king's dilemma, and he sends word to the king, have Naaman come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. I, I don't know if you caught it, but, but it's, it's, it's really important. Um, Elisha doesn't say, and well, so he'll know that there's a miracle worker in, in Israel. No, he says, a prophet. Because what do prophets do? Prophets speak truth. They speak the word of God into human life, into your life and my life and Naaman's life. So what is that truth that Elisha speaks? Well, it's important at this point to understand that that what Elisha needs to, to do in Nathan or in Naaman's life rather is is to is to have him shift his thinking. And really this is the same thing that needs to happen for all of us. And, and, and it's really important that you get this because if you don't, if you don't, you won't find the real God, right? I mean, you, you, you might get a little religious. I mean, you might start going to church, but, but you won't find the God of the Bible. So, so, so what is this shift? This, this shift that, that Elisha challenges Naaman to make, that, that, that the Word of God is, is challenging us to make this morning? Well, it's, it's this, you need to get a place where you realize that your greatest problem is not, not the thing that has messed up your designer life, but that your greatest problem is actually your sin, the fact that you need to be forgiven. In a way, that almost seems counterintuitive, right? Because you're thinking, you're thinking, no, no, God, look, this is what I need help with. I need help right now in this area of my life. Naaman's saying, I got leprosy. I need help with my leprosy. But God's saying, no, 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 no. There's a deeper problem. The reason, the reason there's leprosy, the reason there's COVID in the world, the reason for all of the brokenness that we experience in this world is the brokenness of our own hearts. That's what's unleashed all of these problems. I mean, Naaman thinks that his greatest problem was what? Leprosy. I mean, the immediacy of his disease, this disease that would, that would ravage, ravage his flesh, that would take his life one day. But actually, it wasn't. Naaman's, Naaman's main problem was that he had a heart that was filled with, well, with Naaman. It, no, notice, notice what happens next in the text, because this is so telling. Naaman goes to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. Instead, he, he sends a servant out to him, and, and the servant says to Naaman, here's what you need to do. You need to go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And, and, and what happens? Well, well, Nathan loses it. Or Naaman, I want to say Nathan, but it's Naaman, okay? So, excuse me. Naaman loses it. First of all, he, he's incensed that, that Elisha didn't even come out to him. He feels insulted, right? Remember, he, he's like the prime minister of, of one of the, the greatest countries of all time. And, and, and Elisha doesn't even come out to him. 
He sends a servant. You can just see what's going on in Naaman's head. The nerve of this guy, right? Who does this Elisha guy think he is? And, and, and then look at, at what he says. He says, this is Naaman's words now. I thought he'd come out to me and stand and call in the name of his God and wave his hand or something. Maybe, kind of, it's kind of what he's saying. Maybe we'd sacrifice a few animals and he'd do his hocus pocus thing and, and I'd be cured. But none of that, none of that. And then to add insult to injury, he says, go wash in the Jordan River. Now listen, friends, I've been to Israel and I've seen the Jordan River and it's not the nicest river in the world. It's not Club Med, okay? It's a muddy creek is basically what it is. And, and, and I mean, Naaman says it, right? He's like, I mean, we have better rivers in Syria. I could find a way better river to dip myself in in Syria than, than in, in the lousy Jordan River. So what's going on in this exchange? Now, now think about this. What's going on is, is Naaman is being humbled. Like Chuck Colson. Naaman is being brought to a place where he's going to realize that his main problem is not his leprosy, but the fact that his heart is so full of pride that he won't look up, that he won't look to the God who made him to whom he owes everything. He won't humble himself before the God who reigns eternal, who made all things. He won't receive grace. See, that's Naaman's real problem. And, and this comes out, right? Because through his servant, or servants rather, we find out that that what Naaman really expects out of this exchange is to, is to be challenged in some way. He expects that Elisha would ask him to do some valiant thing, right? I mean, something that no one else could do, something that only Naaman could do. I mean, go save a princess, right? Go slay a dragon, Naaman. Go get the broom of the wicked witch of the West. Can you hear what's, what's going on in Naaman's mind right now? He's thinking... Go wash in the Jordan? Really? Anybody can do that. A slave girl can do that. A prostitute can do that. A beggar can do that. Don't you know who I am, Elisha? Don't you know my resume? Does your God have no standards? You see, that's our problem as, as human beings. We think that God wants us to perform in order to be loved. Why? Well, because that's the way the world works, right? It's how we've all been trained. We believe this world is a meritocracy, right? You get what you deserve. But it's not. It's, it's not, and this is so important to understand because the truth is all of us, all of us, as Romans chapter 3 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are not, friends, the glorious creature that God made you to be, no matter how shiny your life might be on the outside. And you cannot, you cannot buy that glory 
back. You cannot earn that glory back. You can never, ever merit that glory. It's a glory that you can only ever receive as a gift, a free gift. An old pastor friend of mine said it like this. He said, in order to receive salvation, all you need is need. But most people don't have that. Do you get what he's saying? The, the truth is, we want to make a bargain with God. We, we want to say, I'll do this for you, and then you, you do this for me. I'll be religious. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll slay whatever dragon you want me to slay. And, I'll, and then I'll be worthy of your love. And then you'll bless me. And then you'll heal me. And then you'll give me what I want. But it doesn't work that way. Not with the real God. What is Naaman's greatest need in this moment? Someone who can heal his leprosy? No. Someone who can heal his heart. He needs grace. He needs God's grace. And so do all of we. Tell me, have you come to that place? Maybe in the midst of everything that you're going through right now, you realize that that's actually the one thing that you need beyond every other need. God's grace. God's acceptance. All you need is need. But most people don't have that. Do you? I hope you do. Now, here's the wonderful part of the story. Naaman finds it. Naaman finds it. He receives grace. How do, how do we know? Because of what happens in the story. Naaman's servants, smart servants, they say to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? You can, you can just imagine that conversation, can't you? Please, please name it. Just, just go wash in the Jordan. Now, we don't know exactly how it happened for Naaman on that, that day. Maybe he had, a, he had a Chuck Colson moment, right? Maybe he got into his chariot and, and he intended to go back to Syria and he was, and he was swearing under his breath that, that no matter what, he'd never wash. He'd never wash in that, in that muddy creek of the Jordan. He'd never humble himself in that way. Who did this prophet think he was? But then, when he thought of the hopelessness of his previous life, he just couldn't give the command for the the chariots to ride. I mean, he'd commanded many battles. He, he was a warrior, a fighter, a politician, and a diplomat. But when he, thought, when he thought of the life that he was returning to, his pain, his family's pain, he just couldn't get out of the driveway. Maybe privately, he even started crying. We don't know. Every person's conversion moment, every person's conversion story looks different. But this is what we do know. He looked up for the first time in his life. He looked up 
for the first time, he chose humility. He chose to be obedient to the king of his king, to the God of the universe. And he went, and he washed, and he was healed. Now, it's, it's very telling what, what Naaman says after he's healed because it, it, it underlines the fact that, that Naaman received more than just a physical healing, that, that this had been a renovation of his heart as much as it had been a renovation of his body. He, he comes back to Elisha, and he doesn't say, now, now I know that the God of Israel is more powerful than our Syrian gods. Neither does he say, oh my, Elisha, there's no prophet like you in Syria. You're the man, Elisha, hashtag healer. No, he says, I know now that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Think about that. No other God at all. You need to know that, that in, a, in, a, in a pagan world where every country, every region had their own private God to say that there was no other God proved a kind of a transformation that was fundamental. A shift in his thinking unlike anything else. Naaman had met the one true God. The only God that can heal more than just physical leprosy, but also the leprosy of our souls. Naaman goes from wanting to use God to get what he wants to submitting to him as the king of his heart. And, and, and that moment, friends, needs to happen for all of us, Right? No bargains, no using God to get what we want, no, none of that. Just coming to God with our need, asking God, Father, heal this broken sinner. Forgive, forgive me. The good news is that he always does. How? Does God have no standards? Of course he does. God isn't just holy. The Bible says he's holy, holy, holy. He is perfect goodness. So how is it that he always forgives? Well, it's because of what we just celebrated last week, right? Because Jesus did the great deed that Naaman and none of us could ever do. He lived the glorious life that we could never live. And on the cross, he swam through an ocean of sin and death that we all created. And then he rose again to bring the forgiveness of the Father to anyone in need. Tell me, have you had a moment like that? Have you brought those, those deepest needs to the Lord? The brokenness of your own heart? I'm going to give you a chance to do that at the end of this message. And now one final step, right? This whole message is about, about finding God, right? One last step in this, in this whole process. 
And that is, we need to start living out of the grace that we received. When, when God meets our deepest needs, when God brings transformation to our hearts, it's not just meant as, as something that we experience privately. It's meant as something that changes how we live, who we are fundamentally as human beings. And again, this is, is exactly what happens to Naaman. Notice what happens. First of all, he goes back to Elisha. And listen to what he says. He says, please accept a gift from your servant. And he wants to give him all the money, all the gold, all the silver, all the changes of clothes, right? To Elisha. I mean, a fortune. This would have made Elisha the most wealthy person in Israel. Of course, Elisha says no. But think about this. Why did Naaman bring all that stuff? Well, because he wanted to buy a healing, right? I mean, that's the reason he brought it before his conversion. I mean, that's how we believed things worked, right? I pays the money and Elijah does the healing. Now he wants to give it as a gift, right? No strings attached, just a gift. And, and see, that's what grace does to our hearts, friends. It it overflows, grace always overflows in joy, and joy always overflows in gratitude and generosity. That, that's why one of the ways that you know you're actually making progress spiritually is that day by day, week by week, you're becoming a more generous person. Is that happening in your heart? And, and then there's something else. He says, please accept this gift from your servant right? Do you see that? Uh, no, no longer does he claim his status as a great man. No longer is he saying, hey, Elisha, how can you possibly send your servant out to me and not come out yourself? I mean, I'm worth more than that. No, no, he says, I'm your servant. You see, what's happened is Naaman has put pride to death. And that's what a grace-filled heart does as well. Once you understand grace, you stop looking down on other people. No more self-righteousness. No more meritocracy. And this is what Jesus taught, right, when he said to us, anyone who wants to be great in the kingdom of God must become what? The servant of all. Naaman has made that transition. Have you? And then one final thing. He asks for as much earth as his mules can carry. And you're thinking, what? What's all that about, right? Well, see, Naaman knows that when he goes back to Syria, he's going to have to go public with his faith. And so essentially what he's asking Elisha is this. He's saying, Elisha, I have to go to the temple of Rimen, which was the god of the Assyrians. I mean, I... I I have responsibilities. I have, I have public tasks that I have to, to, to perform. Would it be okay if, if, I, if I put some earth in these wagons and, and when I have to bow down that I would take some of this earth from Israel and I would, and I would spread it out before me, even in the temple of Rimen, so that when I bow down, when I bow down and, and when I worship in that moment, I'll be declaring to myself and to everyone who sees it that I'm no longer bowing down to ribbon.
but I'm bowing down to the God of the universe, the God who made me. And Elisha says, works for me. But understand what this cost Naaman, right? I mean, everyone would see him. Everyone would be asking questions. I mean, he's the prime minister, right? Why is he spreading the dirt of a foreign nation in the temple of Rimen? That's not in the liturgy. But it's like Naaman is saying, from this day forward, I will not bow down to any other God but the one true God, the God who taught me about grace, the one who brought healing into my heart in the most powerful way. See, that's what a grace-filled heart does. It breaks down every idol and it places a relationship with God at the center of its life. And if that costs me my social standing, if that costs me the esteem of others, if that costs me my job, so be it. Because if God loves me, if God forgives me, then I owe him everything, don't I? Tell me, where's your heart this morning? Have you had a Naaman moment? Maybe you never have. Well, this morning I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've already had a moment like that somewhere along your spiritual journey, but the truth is, if you're honest with yourself, you've kind of drifted into your old ways. Well, this morning is an opportunity to recenter your life. And let's do that in prayer. Pray with me. As the old preacher said, Father, all we need is need. But so many of us don't have it. And the reason is because we want to think of ourselves as all put together people, as competent people, as self-sufficient people. But the truth is we're not. Our deepest need is that we need your forgiveness. We need your grace. As much as we need to be saved from COVID-19, we need to be saved from ourselves, from our own brokenness. And so this morning we come to you and we ask, forgive us. This morning we come to you to humble ourselves and to say there is no other God but you. There is no one else that saves but you. We humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would forgive and you would empower us to live a grace-filled life. Father, whether this is the first time we've ever prayed this prayer or whether this is the hundredth time we've prayed this prayer, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to live the lives that you want us to live. Give us a name and moment and set us free. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Amen. Amen.